Well, good morning. At this time, the threes and fours can go back with their class leader. Um, if you have your Bible with you, uh, please turn with me to Mark, the 15th chapter. Today we're going to be covering verses 40 through 47. If you do not have a Bible with you, feel free to raise your hand, keep it lifted in the air. One of our members will gladly bring you a copy of God's Word. Um, and let me start by saying what a, what a blessing it has been over the last couple of weeks to sit under Austin's teaching through the crucifixion. Uh, for Christians, one of our most painful areas of study, but as much pain as it brings us, it's also necessary. If you're not a Christian with us, uh, if you're a Christian today, or excuse me, if you're a Christian um, with us today, we understand uh, that when Jesus died on the cross, we see that God's infinite wrath poured upon Him, how angry He is with us because of our sin, but also by the fact that we are not there, we also see how loved that we are. If you're with us today and you're a non-Christian, we're so glad that you are here um, because it's passages like this that are the apex of our understanding of what sin has done and what Jesus, in fact, had to do to save us. So I pray that we today slip into the mind of our brothers and sisters from long ago as we try to bear the gravity of such a text. Before we read, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for what it means to us and what only it can do to us. Lord, I pray that we today listen with your ears, ears that seek not our own honor, Lord, but yours. Lord, that we come knowing that shame, guilt, and fear has been buried. It no longer exists. It has been accounted for. Lord, guide us today. May we honor you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, in chapter 15, beginning in verse 40, our text reads, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they had followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning, this, summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought or bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Over the last couple of weeks, we have heard of the horrific methods of torture that Jesus was subjected to, all of which pale in comparison to the punishment that we cannot see with our eyes, the very wrath of God. 
So infinite and unmerciful was this punishment. Even Jesus asked that there might be another way, but as he knew, there wasn't. Jesus hung upon a cross and died, upon which the sky was ripped open, the veil that once separated us from the very presence of God was torn in two. The curse of sin was without a doubt defeated. But there was a final piece of the curse that Jesus had yet to endure, if you will, a zipper, placing a final seal upon sin's defeat. You see, as Mark transitions to this scene, he calls attention to the women who had followed Jesus up until this painful moment. Jesus who had never laid a hand on anyone, never belittled or hurt anyone. Jesus who brought joy and life to all who would receive. Hangs lifeless. If you look back at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he began his ministry with an action. He was baptized. Now, when we're baptized, what we do is we publicly proclaim a remission of sin. Our sister today, Crystal, will be baptized today symbolically showing us through complete immersion underwater what it means for us to have a complete reversal of sin's effects upon our soul. Now, what's peculiar here is that if Jesus didn't sin, then why was he baptized? There's a verse at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3.19 that gives us the final piece of the curse issued by God. Genesis 3.19 reads that, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So why would a sinless Jesus be baptized? Friends, Jesus was publicly proclaiming that it was He, unlike sinful Adam, that would link arms with all of humanity. He would live the life that we could not live, die the death that we could not die, and the final piece of the curse, He would also return to the dust for us taking with Him our sin. It's upon Christ's return to the dust in our passage today that we are introduced to a peculiar man. A man named Joseph requests an audience with Pontius Pilate. Verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph, a respected member of the very council that had just sentenced Jesus to death, a respected enough man to have an audience with Pilate, requests the body of Jesus. So why would Mark include for us what seems like nothing more than a simple burial scene? You may have even read this text before and really thought little of it. But Mark sets this scene and wants us to watch. How we might, like on a fall day, watch with fascination a squirrel somehow instinctively forage for the winter, thinking, how does he even know to do that? I believe what Mark wants us to observe today is the very quiet, but very public actions of a man gently tucking Jesus into the earth. Our first truth for today is that Jesus' honor is worth the cost of our shame. You see, we try our best 
in our church, hopefully, to expose a text to you how it was intended to be read. You know, we have to read and and interpret the Bible knowing that it was written for a different time period, a different culture, and even a different worldview. We all would love to kind of just simply open up our Bibles and just start applying things, but if we fail to, to see and think like the original audience, we can miss so much richness. Now bear with me for just a minute because uh, I believe this is going to help us today understand our text. We have so many different cultures in our world, all of which in the world also even see the gospel a little bit, a little bit differently. Our culture, for instance, finds a particular retribution in the gospel compared to other cultures. Simply put, different cultures view the world different ways. Even the men and women of Scripture hold a different worldview than we do. Now, generally speaking, there are three different ways, three different ways in which we can view the world. First being a guilt and innocence worldview. Mostly in Western cultures like ours, we have, what, a strong sense of individualism, a certain set of rights that we get to have as long as we follow what the laws, uh, the laws of our land govern as right and wrong. Since it is guilt that can come between us and our rights and our desires, what do we do? We strive away from guilt to do what? Maintain our innocence. Middle Eastern and Asian cultures tend to operate in a shame and honor worldview. Family and community are a high priority. And reputation and social status are valued above all. In other words, do good things. Stay on the up and up socially and you will be honored. If you do not do good things or even someone does wrong to you, you will be dishonored or shamed. This even bleeds into your family or community. You see, it is shame, not guilt in this area, this worldview that is number one to avoid. This is also the primary worldview of the Bible during this time. Latin American, sub-Saharan, African tribal areas of the world operate in a fear and power worldview, heavily influenced by spirits and curses. The spirits around them are expressed by weather, physical factors like illness. As a result, what do they do? They live in fear and constantly search for the power to overcome evil through superstitions, spells, incantations. But obviously we can see that honestly every culture probably operates in a mixture of all three of these. So why in the world would I take the time to include this in a sermon? Why do we care about this? Because what may in our culture seem like a simple burial ceremony, through the correct world view, helps us see the true depth of a changed heart only the love of Jesus can command. Joseph of Arimathea is a respected member of the council that had just sentenced Jesus to death asks for the body of the accused that he might give Jesus a proper burial. You see, first first century Israel reflected a culture steeped in honor and shame. The leaders of Israel represented a people of highest honor that they and previous generations had worked and fought to earn. Friends, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Jesus' crucifixion was about shame. Jesus was stripped of every ounce of honor that he had. John Piper 
wrote, it's fairly long, but wrote a fictional poem about Joseph. I wanted to read you just a little bit of it. Quote, three years went by and all of Joseph's fears began to fall away. Except for one. The secret that he had kept from the Sanhedrin that he was a follower of Christ. Because it was his glory and his renown and known in every Jewish town that Joseph ranked among the one in 70 and there was none more highly honored in the hall than he. But now, the horrid call was ringing in his ears. The voice of Caiaphas. It is your choice, Sanhedrin. Is this blasphemy or not? This Jesus that you see on trial says He's the Christ, the Son of God. We need no witness done. What say you? All the voices cried aloud, let Him be crucified. But one, His eyes fixed on Christ, and Christ on His. And that sufficed. The final chain was broken. He was free. He rose for all to see. A hush fell on the council room and everyone turned from the doom that they had spoken over the accused and looked to see what Joseph's rise and silence meant. He spoke, my brothers, I dissent. Luke 23 tells us that he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. Joseph was a man of honor, respected, and did not consent to the verdict to the most shameful crime to be committed by a Jew, that of blasphemy. A strike against Joseph's honor to go against the majority in what many of them saw as a slam dunk case. Using baseball vernacular, this would be strike one for Joseph. You see, as we will see, that there's something different about this man. Something that goes against the grain of the worldview that his culture and him had lived by their whole lives. Generations before him. Joseph takes his descent a step further. Jesus was dead. His body remained on the cross. Many were left to be eaten by birds, but Jewish law did allow for the proper burial of these criminals. Joseph goes to Pilate. He asks for the body. Now for us, we might think, what a big deal this is. Not much to it. Joseph isn't guilty of anything. But friends, in a shame and honor culture, Jesus was shamed to the fullest extent of the law. And Joseph, a man of honor, wants Jesus taken off the cross. Why? Because he wants the shame to stop. Jesus' honor was worth Joseph's shame. In this culture, Joseph is now guilty by association. Strike two for Joseph. But again, there's something different about this man. Joseph's honor seems to have little to, do, little to nothing to do with his decision. In fact, all that seems to be on his mind is sacrificing his honor for another. He seems to care nothing for shame. He cares instead for Jesus. Somewhere along the way, he fell in love with Jesus. 
now seemingly walking with tunnel vision for him. His livelihood, his family honor at stake. All that he wants is Jesus. He wants to stop the shame. As we will see, he will go to impossible lengths to have the honor of honoring his king. The man in search of the kingdom of God, as our text says, found it. We as a church watch like a squirrel gathering nuts. Instead, we see a peculiar man gathering honor for Jesus. When we come to faith in Christ, it is is as though we have come out of a trance. A trance that has had, had us living for our own innocence, our own honor, our own power, and doing it all for ourselves. Honor in a culture as this, remember, affords people money, perks, friendship, love, acceptance, material possessions, respect. You might even think some of these things sound reasonable, but none of them are Jesus. Think about almost everything that we do. We work and we strive to honor ourselves. We constantly think, I have earned this. I deserve this rest. I deserve this meal. I deserve your respect. Friends, we have earned nothing. And therefore, we deserve nothing. Our text opens up with a man putting his social status, even his life, on the line because it's Jesus, not He, who deserves all the honor. Do we live our lives to honor Jesus? Are we willing to set aside all that we hold dear for Him? Do we know that He is better than all the honor our world could ever give us? Joseph, clearly we see, has his worldview turned upside down. Do we? Do you? What Joseph probably, though, didn't fully understand was that while he requests the body of Jesus for his burial, Jesus had a different plan for Joseph and for the rest of us. Our second truth for today is that Jesus dishonored himself so that we would hold a place of honor. Verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died and summoned the centurion and asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned that from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. The very same centurion who had testified to Jesus' sonship also confirms his death to Pilate. Maybe you're not a Christian and you're with us today, but um, our Lord died. He hung on a cross lifeless because of what I did. Why is this significant to us? Because Jesus died the death that we could not die. Our naked, mutilated corpse should be hanging in shame on a cross. But it didn't happen that way. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Who, though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For us knowing that Jesus died on a cross means that he shamed himself by becoming my sin. Sin, our sin, dishonored our creator and created the corpse. We deserve to be swallowed up, but Jesus did something miraculous that Joseph could not have known. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. Friends, because of Jesus' death, we now, as the veil was torn, are seated in a place of honor. Through Christ's shame, we are honored. Honored as adopted children into the kingdom of God. These men and women of the Bible striving for their own honor that they have earned love, acceptance, God somehow freely and graciously gives them. But what's interesting is that this honor that we're talking about is not just any honor. We need to take a few minutes to understand that many manipulate the gospel believing that they are honored to live how they would like. Or in our culture are given the right, the freedom, the independence, the innocence, if you will, to live as we would like. Their sin, being buried with Christ, allows them to somehow sin freely instead of being free from sin. The honor of our freedom from sin, friends, does not give us the honor or the right to dishonor God. Instead, the honor given us by Jesus that Mark has helped illustrating for us through Joseph is a gift of the highest adoration. Which brings us to our final truth for today. Our shame. Buried and gone. We are honored to honor our King once again. Verse 46 and 47. And Joseph bought a linen shroud. And taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. After being granted the body of Jesus, Joseph goes to work. Interestingly, we also find in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, that Joseph actually wasn't alone. He was accompanied by another man. Another man with a secret. Many of you know him. His name is Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. The same man that by the dark of night in secret came to Jesus asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. These two men take Jesus off the cross. Two men of high position, of respect. This is not the work of a Pharisee. This would be like a member of our Senate trotting over to Arlington Cemetery preparing bodies and burying them into the ground. They took Jesus off the cross. 
likely placed a ladder upon the cross, pried the nails out of his hands and feet, heaved the weight of a possibly 150-pound man covered in blood, more spilling everywhere out of the wound in his side, their fingers touching his wounds, brushing across exposed bone. Friends, this is not the work of men seeking their own honor. They were seeking to honor Jesus. They wrapped him in an expensive linen. Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh and expensive aloes. Joseph owned a tomb, hand-carved out of rock, an expensive and rare commodity. The type of, this type of burial was meant for the extremely wealthy or royalty. These men were dirty, covered in sweat and blood, this is no matter because they were not just burying any man. They were honoring, honored, excuse me, to bury a king. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. These last people followed Jesus to the grave. These people honored to lay their king in a kingly tomb. Boldly setting aside their honor, no consideration for their shame and what this might bring them. The curse that had completely reversed was reversed by a king. They can now honor him once more. Joseph, not consenting to the decision of the council was strike one, requesting the body of Jesus strike two, and now giving Jesus, a kingly burial, burial is strike three. Once broken in a trance, their lives for, excuse me, their lives living for their own honor. All the way back to the very first man and woman, they are now honored to honor Jesus again. It's hard to maybe even think about going to such lengths for our love for anyone. You're right, we would think that is hard. In fact, I think we can even go a step further as we're talking about this, that what Joseph and Nicodemus and the rest did is impossible. Nicodemus explained this to Jesus when he said, I would have to re-enter my mother's womb again. It's impossible for us on our own to set aside our own honor. It's impossible for them and their shame to not be a factor in their decision making. You know, we can't look exactly into the hearts of these men. But um, when Jesus says things like, you will know one another by your fruits, friends, this is about as low-hanging fruit as it gets. Mark fixed our gaze upon Joseph to show us that it's only Jesus that can bury the human heart. And fix it on him once again. Why was Joseph impossibly able to turn their worldview upside down? Because with Jesus, there is no worldview, friends, there is only a Christ view. Their secret has been made public. He did this by their faith in who he was, he was the promised one, the king. These men had both found the kingdom of God. 
in Jesus, the highest honor anyone can have. But here's what's amazing about a text like this. The essence of the miracle. We started talking about, about, we started talking about uh, different worldviews when we opened up the sermon. Innocence and guilt. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Shame and honor, Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Power and fear, Ephesians 1.19-21. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The death of Jesus touches everyone. It solves every problem in the world. If you are crushed by the weight of your sin, Jesus has deemed you innocent. If you are in need of honor, you now hold a place of infinite honor before the Creator. If you are in need of power to overcome all that life can throw at you, Jesus has died defeating sin and death, and there is nothing to fear because you are alive with Him forever. Again, we have the blessing of our sister, and I didn't ask her if I could use her this morning, so hopefully she doesn't mind. Um, She's going to be teaching us at the end of our service through baptism that we have all, by God's grace, as church members walked through, that her guilt, her shame, her fear have been buried with Jesus. It's gone. Never to be seen again. She is going to honor what Jesus has done for her. Friends, hopefully we view the world now to honor Jesus. Truth number one, Jesus' honor is worth our shame. Truth number two, Jesus dishonored Himself so that we might be honored. Truth number three, our shame buried, we are honored to honor our King once again. I have three takeaways I want to leave you with this morning. Takeaway number one, a mirror of our first truth is your shame, guilt, and fear have been completely buried. You see, the symbol that we express through a complete immersion under water is an important symbol. It's a symbol that our shame is gone completely under the earth, has been completely justified by Christ. It's gone. It's accounted for. Bring out your guilt, your shame, in fear, and bury it. Never will you be bound to it again is expressed through our repentance, a gift of God, a symbol, evidence that we are free from such sin. You see, what's really neat is that there are a lot of people that should have been at this burial ceremony, and they weren't. They hid in their shame in their fear, in their guilt. But see, it's these same people that were hidden that God used 
How often in my life have I been a coward? But by the grace of God, somehow He still wants to use me. Grace is immeasurable, friends. Even when we fail to see, even when we fail to recognize its burial, the burial of our sin, Jesus never forgets. Your sins have been buried. Even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes, question that I have for you, is there anything that you believe that Jesus didn't account for? Is there anything that you believe that He left on the surface of the ground? Humbly enjoy knowing that your sins have been buried. Takeaway number two. Jesus honored you to allow you to honor Him. We get to honor Jesus. Jesus who created us. We get to honor Him again. Do you live your life? Do people see a life that's lived to honor Jesus? Our last takeaway, kind of a missional takeaway, is that the Gospel solves every worldview problem. Again, there's not a culture that goes untouched with the Gospel. We can get so focused on how we might see the world We can cripple ourselves in the mission of God. And see, it's texts like this that inspire us that Jesus solves every problem, friends. And it's always because a gracious God buries our guilt, our shame, and our fear forever. So, stay tuned next week. This grave um, didn't hold Jesus. So, enjoy and basking in the riches of what it means to be alive in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the testimony of men and women that we get to see hearts of change. We get to see what it's like to repent. We get to see what it's like to not be bound to our sin. We thank you, Father, Because of Jesus, we are no longer bound to such sin. That it is buried forever. We praise You for what You have done. Lord, may we live our lives as St. Rose Community Church as a people that together we set aside our shame for the honor of Christ. Lord, we love You dearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.